the optimal life. All right, Jackson, welcome, man. And this is the first time that I've ever had. This is almost. This is going to be around. Um, by the time this episode releases, probably in the low two hundreds. So you're going to be like the two hundred and first or two hundred and second episode. And in two hundred plus episodes, I've never talked to somebody that is so well versed and such an expert in, in football history. How did you? start getting involved in, in your love and joy for all this NFL knowledge? Oh, wow. Well, you know, I mean, that's that's going back to uh, when I was a child uh, growing up in Wisconsin. And uh, uh, my first uh, NFL memory is uh, a playoff game between the Vikings and Rams uh, for the 1976 uh, NFC championship game. Um, so, and, and I watched the Vikings return a, a blocked kick uh, for a touchdown. So, um, I always found the game exciting. I always loved the characters of the game. I always loved um, the drama and suspense, just of sports in general. So, you know, with that, I just kind of had a knack for remembering things that I had seen. And um, remembering facts and, um, you know, correlating, you know, events and years together. And it, it just kind of all adds up. Yeah. So were you able to take those skills and talents, like, in your regular classroom work as a student growing up? Did you have, like, a photographic <laughs> memory? Unfortunately, not. Uh, not really. Um, you know, and uh, I was one of those kids who... Uh, could quote you Robin Yount's batting average at the time, but probably not, um, you know, uh, other classroom facts that they were trying to teach me. Although I will tell you that, that following football as, as a, a child, it did help my uh, multiples of seven, uh, memorizing <laughs> that on the multiplication table because touchdowns are scored in sevens, of course. So, I could figure out seven times four and seven times six quicker than other kids. It's amazing how our brains work. I'm sure your parents were like, come on, Jackson. You, you, you know everything about the NFL the last few years. If you just put half of this effort into your schoolwork, you'd be a straight-A student. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I did pretty well in, in school until, um, you know, middle school. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I just didn't, I just didn't fare as well. Um, what about you know, the what, classroom what, what, environment doesn't, doesn't fit everybody. So what about middle school? What, what do you say classroom environment? What, why was that different than elementary school? What was the struggle for you? Um, I don't know if there was a struggle and it just generally, um, you know, I just generally, as as things progressed, I generally became less and less interested in school. Yeah. That, that's kind of it. And more and more interested in NFL. NFL and music. I, I worked as a professional musician for a long time. And, um, you know, school moved. Um, I was one of those kids. School moved kind of slow for me. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really feel too engaged because it wasn't very challenging so I kind of did about as much work to get by yeah and um, 
that was that was about it. That's a common pitfall for people that are that are, have these brains that are years ahead of their peers. A common pitfall is school is not enough stimulation, and therefore it translates to a lack of caring and a lack of better grades. It's very interesting and peculiar. Yeah, you know, I mean, like I said, not everybody is is fit for a you know traditional classroom environment. Um, you know, but it, it works for the, the vast majority of kids. I, I I wouldn't complain about it or anything. It's just, you know, school didn't reach me um, like it did other students. I think, but I was really into reading, and uh, I've been a lifelong reader and a lifelong learner and a lifelong student. But again, just in the classroom, traditional classroom environment. Um, you know, for whatever reason, it, it didn't really work out for me. So as an NFL historian, you have, how, how many years have you been doing this now? When you first, from that first instance when you said you watched the Vikings game, till now, how many years is that? Uh, well, let's see, I'm 51 now. I was six when that happened. Okay, so 45 uh, years. So about 45 years. So yeah. for 45 years, four and a half decades, you've been watching NFL games. And you know how they always say history repeats itself. It sounds like you're able to take current events and tie them back and relate them back to other events in NFL history. And it kind of shows a similar pattern or same situations. So I want to talk about a little bit of these with you. I want to start with something off the field. Henry Ruggs, wide receiver from the Oakland Raiders several weeks ago, gets in a high-speed car accident uh, with somebody going on. He's going 150 miles per hour, and uh, it's 2-something in the morning, 3 in the morning, whatever it was. He was intoxicated. He crashes into this individual's car, and the person ends up passing away. So talk about other situations in his. And, of course, he got cut, and now he's got a whole legal thing to deal with. Name some other situations that go into your memory bank of players doing something similar off the field catastrophes that end up cutting their career short and then potentially serving time in prison. Uh, the first one uh, I can think of is uh, Gabe Rivera. Um, the Pittsburgh Steelers drafted him in the first round of the 1983 draft. And I just did a. Uh, podcast episode with about him on the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast um, and uh, that situation Gabe you know was a first round pick he was a defensive tackle had a really bright future in front of him after six games and then um, he went out uh, drinking after uh, practice I think and uh, wound up uh, crashing his Dodson and wound up paralyzed and it ended his career. It eventually shortened his life because um, of complications from the paralysis. And um, so that's that's one that comes to mind right there um, is Gabe Rivera. Gabe Rivera. Okay, who else? Um, let's see. I mean, it's not uncommon for people to get... Uh, drunk driving uh issues yeah but and, i'm not i'm not even that. talking i'm now, not even... i remember um 
I'm not and even. I, I can't remember if he was if he was drinking at the time, but I remember Bobby Hurley was a big prospect in basketball, and um, he was involved in a car accident early in his career that cut his career short. Yeah, and Jackson, um, I'm not even talking strictly about uh, uh, drinking and driving, but but a bad decision that ends up cutting a player's career short, where they're facing legal troubles. You know, what wasn't Dante Stallworth in something similar? I believe he had a car accident. I think he may have hit a pedestrian, if I remember right. right. Don't quote me on that, although I know it's a podcast. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, there have been other instances. Um, you know, with, I look uh, at, I look at like, Ray Carruth. Um, wasn't Ray Carruth was, was charged with murder and convicted. Right. Yeah. Right. Aaron Hernandez. Um, there have been, you know, Ray Rice had that domestic violence charge, and um, he was out of the league uh, shortly afterwards. Um, Aaron Hernandez, of course. Aaron Hernandez. Yeah, that's a that's another and and that's an, a, another tragic example. Um, you know, the NFL has a lot of the one thing about the NFL. And pro sports in general, they have a lot of different people and a lot of different personalities and a lot of different backgrounds. And it's like anything else. Um, There are going to be people that, you know, have situations where, um, you know, they're going to make mistakes. It's just when you do it as an NFL player rather than, let's say, you know, you work in an an office, um, you know, it's going to get reported on. Uh, quite a bit more. You're gonna be in the spotlight. No um, doubt, no doubt about it. But it's it's uh, inter- it's 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 sad that at least from a, a, a fan's perspective to see some of their heroes end up blowing such a lifelong dream. They've worked their tail off to get to this point, and then they do something really stupid in their personal lives, and they're willing to throw it all away. It happens all the time. Interestingly enough, speaking of piggybacking off of that, is Colin Kaepernick. He came out recently with a Netflix special uh, uh, comparing the NFL to slavery, which was to me shocking, a shocking comparison to make that, again, especially for all these guys that have worked their tail off to get to this point in their life and to compare that to slavery. Name a player that was as polarizing in the prior 40 years of your being a huge fan as Colin Kaepernick has been in modern era. Well, the first the first person when you, when you make the slavery reference, and and I, I don't really generally get into um, political stuff, um, but I do remember Kurt Flood, the baseball player, um, being quoted as saying, uh, "A well paid slave is a slave nonetheless." When he was challenging the uh, reserve clause in Major League Baseball um, after he was, I think think it was right after he was traded and he wanted to stay in St. Louis. So, um, you know, there have always been polarizing people. You know, Conrad Dobler, um, who I interviewed, he was was polarizing uh, because his play on the field uh, was was pretty rough. He was called the dirtiest player in the NFL by Sports Illustrated in the 1970s. And, um, 
So he was polarizing. Um, but, uh, but like Ken Houston told me, uh, who's a, who's a hall of fame, uh, defensive back who played for a long time in the NFL, you know, you can't really judge people by what they do for three hours on the field. And, you know, it's also like, you know, with, with quotes in the media and, and stuff like that, it's, it's hard to say what the full context of that was. Um, it's easy to take a take a quick um, quick you know quote and um, try to paint a whole story around it. Um, I I can't speak to exactly what Colin, Colin Kaepernick was talking about because I wasn't part of the conversation. We're in a peculiar time uh, because we have so much access to these players and we're able to see things now more than ever. We never got to used to see what they did in their home personal lives 15, 20 years ago. Now we get to because most of them are sharing stuff and putting it out online or people are snapping pictures, etc. One of the cool things that we've been able to experience through all this is seeing most likely the best, not maybe not just the best quarterback, but the best player in the NFL history, Tom Brady. So what, in your opinion, number one, in your opinion, is he the best quarterback ever? And number two, uh, what makes him different than most others? Yeah, it's, it's really hard to, um, to argue that Tom Brady is the best ever right now. I used to say that, that Joe Montana was the best that I could remember. And that was before Brady, you know, won the Super Bowl with the Buccaneers. Um, it's really impressive the amount of success that he has been able to put together. Um, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of preparation. Um, and, you know, that and, and just there are a lot of things that he brings to the table um, that you can't teach. I remember watching the Super Bowl between the Patriots and the Falcons, and the, and the Patriots were way behind. And I thought the most important play of that game was when Tom Brady ran for a first down on, uh, I think it was a third down play even, and I said to the person next to me, my neighbor I was watching the game with, I said, look, he just told his team that he thinks they can still win. And they can build off that. And I don't think the Falcons really are going to be able to pick up that message. And sure enough, the the Patriots, I think, ended up kicking a field goal on that possession. And then it was the next possession that there was the, the famous Matt Ryan fumble. And uh, all of a sudden, then the Patriots scored a touchdown, and they're they're back in the in the middle of the game, and they're back in the thick of it. Mm. So, I think that's one of the things, and and that's something that's really underrated in pro football, and really in sports in general, and and possibly just in society is is that kind of leadership. Um, not necessarily the kind of leadership like telling people what to do or um, 
but just kind of being that committed to the cause. I remember when I spoke to Bart Starr about leadership, you know, part of it he said was, was having that commitment to the cause. And when Tom Brady showed that to the rest of the Patriots in that Super Bowl against the Falcons, it picked up the whole team. And I think that's one of the things that makes him great. Because when you step on the field with somebody somebody like that, it's just it's just gonna elevate your own personal game. No doubt about it. So take us back. Go back in history. Give us another example of the exact same thing. When a quarterback was had his back against the wall, they were down in the fourth quarter. It didn't have to be a Super Bowl, but a, a game, and they were able to come back. Was there a play that sticks out in your mind where a quarterback, a big play was where the quarterback ran on a third and whatever and was able to get the first down and keep his team going and coming back to win? Yeah, I do, I do remember um, having a having a conversation with Dan Neal, who played for the Broncos uh, when John Elway was our quarterback. And there was a famous play in the Super Bowl against the Packers when he got hit. He kind of swung around like a helicopter. You know, his body kind of circled around. Um, and he said that after that play, everybody on the sidelines was like, oh, we've got to win this game for John. If he's if he's that into this, we have got to we have got to win this game. And that's kind of was knowing that it kind of was the signal to me when, when Tom Brady um, ran for that first down, I kind of, I I remembered that conversation. And um, so that's another, um, that's another instance, you know, uh, and I've, I've heard people talk, you know, John Elway was famous for, for his two-minute, you know, heroics late in the game. And I remember, you know, I've, I've had players tell me, other players on the team, just what kind of confidence they have, even on the defensive side of the ball, um, to play when you have a, a quarterback like that it, it, as a leader. Yeah, it's invaluable. You can't put, You cannot put a value on it. And it's hard to really measure what that does. Like you said, there's an intangible factor that just naturally lifts up the rest of the group. You mentioned Matt Ryan and fumbling, of course, in that Super Bowl when Brady comes back to beat them in the fourth quarter. So, again, go back in your in your memory bank. What was one or two of the biggest blunder? I know Matt Ryan's might not have been, but one or two of the biggest blunder fumbles. I'm in Cleveland, okay? And you mentioned John Elway. So give us a couple blunder fumbles that really could have changed a, a team's entire season. Well, I guess the most famous uh, one that I can think of off the top of my head was is the 1987 AFC Championship game uh, with the Browns and Ernest Biner mm. uh, fumbling the ball at the goal line um, at the end of the game. I just got the chi- I just got the chills again. I'm not joking, you Jackson. I just got the goosebumps <laughs> thinking about that. I was a little kid at that time, and you just brought it right back. Yeah, and that's a great thing about um, sports is that you know we can we can talk about it. You don't even have to have 
met somebody before, but but you've got you know these kind of shared memories of of where where you were and 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 what kind of emotions you had. And, and what, you what was that moment like for you? you know, that kind of thing. That's that's a, that's a beautiful thing about sports. Even though you know for the Browns, you know that was. That was a tough moment, but you know Ernest Biner. I, I think he had two touchdowns in that game. I know he had one, um, and he helped put them in that position. Um, but nobody, so, nobody will remember that. Isn't that interesting? Right. Yeah. Right, and that's that's the interesting thing about sports too is when you're on that platform, you can have just that split second. And I've I've watched a video with Ernest Biner talking about that play and. He said he was looking at one defensive back and was really ready to run him over. Um, and then the other defensive back, Jeremiah Castile, just came from the side and knocked the ball away. Um, and uh, when I talked to one of his teammates, Carl Mecklenburg, on the Game Before the Money podcast, you know, Mecklenburg said, and, and this is a good lesson in itself, you know, Jeremiah Castile understood that he wasn't going to stop Ernest Biner. You know, Jeremiah Castile was a lot lighter than Biner, um, but he knew he could try to get the ball away. And the combination of, of the element of surprise, because Biner was focused on a, running over somebody else, and knowing. Castile knowing his own limitations um, you know that created that that big play yeah that's incredible and that's the type of that's what's so crazy about sports is that one play can stick with you your entire career post life it will stick with you forever and sometimes that's yeah, really it, that could be really good like a David Tyree or it could be really bad like an Ernest Biner yeah, you know, and and you think about um, you think about Jim Marshall, right? Played twenty years in the NFL, right? Twenty years—that's rare to play twenty years in the National Football League. And you know, really, you mention his name, and ninety-nine percent of the time, people say like, "Oh, that guy who ran the ball back the wrong way mm -hmm. um, for the Vikings." And, and it was a safety, and he thought it was a touchdown. Um, so, yeah, it's it's like, you know, their whole career can be remembered just for that split second. You know, Ernest Biner was a, was a very good player. Yeah, he also. was great. He was great. Um, but he's remembered for that. David Tyree didn't play that long in the NFL, but, you know, <laughs> everybody remembers the helmet catch. Yeah, that's um, incredible. So... Yeah, a lot. Sometimes it is circumstance, and that's that's one of the variables in sports. Um, you know, you think these guys are the cream of the crop. You know, um, some of them have been exceptional players their whole life, from high school into college and into the pros. And yeah, yeah sometimes they're remembered for that that one kind of gaffe, and sometimes they're remembered for you know, a spectacular play. Yeah. Scott Norwood could kick uh, 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 one, probably one of the better field goal kickers in NFL history, but people will remember the Super Bowls. Yeah, that's right. That's another 
excellent example is Scott Norwood, you know. And, uh, you know, if I try to uh, – I'll tell you what, if, if I got – I'm just speaking for myself, but it's probably a lot of people who uh, who watch that game and might uh, – might have some criticism for Scott Norwood. I'll, I'll tell you one person who would not have made that field goal also, and that's me. Because if I would have lined <laughs> up, you know, and tried to kick the ball, you know, I, could, I couldn't have done it. So, yeah. um, you know, it's uh, it's another thing about sports is, is, you know, players take a lot of criticism. Um, and uh, Scott Norwood, it's easy to, to point and say, well, you missed that, but you know how many people in the world could have actually made that field goal yeah um you know that that kind of skews the population to to a lot smaller number no doubt so you mentioned the vikings and i had the pleasure of really loving watching dante culpepper with moss and, and chris carter is that the best wide receiver duo quarterback combination that you remember and if not give us maybe a couple others well, I think the first two that come to mind are um, Joe Montana with Jerry Rice and John Taylor. People forget how great of a player that John Taylor uh, was. Yeah. Um, and then definitely Terry Bradshaw with Lynn Swan and John Stallworth. I mean, those, those are three Hall of Famers right there. Uh, Roger Staubach with Drew Pearson and Tony Hill uh, was an exceptional combination as well. Um, two or three of those players are in the Hall of Fame. Um, so off the top of my head, I would maybe maybe those even uh, three may- above Paul Pepper, Carter, and Moss. What what about uh, yeah? Those are good ones. What about um, Peyton Manning with uh, Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne? Actually, that was a pretty good one. Yeah, that's that's a really uh, that's a really great um, great trio as well. You know, the, the thing about comparisons is there are a lot of um, differences, both in the rules. Um, you know, because defenders could do a lot more to the receiver during the game, and a lot more to the quarterback during the game um, that they couldn't do in later times. Generally, progressively, um, rule changes have in part been put in place to make the game safer, which is necessary, um, and also in part to, you know, assist the offenses because, you know, scoring is is more exciting than, than defense to the majority of People yes. watching, absolutely, you know, pro football on TV, especially the the you know kind of um, you know general fan who you know likes to watch a game here and there. Yeah, no doubt about that. So yeah, uh, it, one of the, the other well, one other thing that that I think is important to um, to remember too is like you know for the most part, you know. Guys in the seventies and and in the eighties, they were they were playing in baseball stadiums, you know, with you know multi-purpose stadiums that you know had baseball fields. You know, a lot of times they get muddy, um, they get torn up, um, and 
progressively, you know, as football has become uh, bigger and bigger and generated more and more revenue, they're they're able to build these stadiums that, you know, are built specifically for football performance. So, um, you know, that that probably helps um, also with um, so it's difficult to compare. I don't know. I mean, Peyton Manning, Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison. You know, I I think that they probably would have done really well on muddy fields as well. You know, um, but it's 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 hard to um, it's hard to gauge. You know how they would do. You know, against the 1970s Cowboys playing with those rules. Yeah. Well, it's hard to gauge in all sports. You look at the NBA players today, for example. The guys are... Michael Jordan and those guys look nothing like LeBron James and the guys do today. Just in their physiques. The supplements and everything that people are putting into their bodies now. These guys were nothing. They're so much bigger today. So it's hard to, it's hard to compare. I get what you mean by generations. You know, would this player have done well in this era? Those kind of things. But it's always fun to think about and to talk about. One of the trios, too, that, that might not have been a top five, but this is related to your. I know that you have this connection or affinity for the Houston Oilers. And I believe you've written about this, um, which you can get into a little bit for us. But uh, I remember Warren Moon with, with uh, Curtis Duncan and Haywood Jeffries. That was quite a, quite a trio. Yeah, they had, they had Ernest Givens. Givens too, uh, yeah. As well, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, Warren Moon, man, he he threw a really pretty pass. I mean, he his spirals were just just great. I mean, his his passing was beautiful to watch. Where were, um, real, yeah. real quick, Jackson, those four guys you just named: Givens, Haywood, Jeffries, Duncan, and Moon. Tell us where each of the give us. I know you're really good with their biographies and stuff. So tell us a little bit about each player and where they went to college, et cetera. Well, I know much more about Warren Moon. Okay. Um, off the cuff, uh, Warren Moon went to the University of Washington, um, and had had a pretty good career. Um, but he went undrafted. He didn't expect to be drafted either. Um, I think he signed with the Edmonton Eskimos of the Canadian Football League even before the National League draft. NFL draft happened um, I don't think he even waited uh, but he played several seasons and, and this this is one of the things about Warren Moon that's exceptional is he put up these great NFL stats despite having played you know possibly the most fruitful um, parts of his career in the Canadian Football League you know mm. I think he came to the NFL when he was like 28 um, and, uh, you know, he had, he had thrown for over 5,000 yards. Uh, I think one year he threw for exactly 5,000 yards for the Edmonton Eskimos. And then I think the next year he threw for over 5,000 yards, uh, in the Canadian football league. And then, wow. then he came to the NFL and played for the Oilers and, uh, he had was that tough. run and shoot offense. Um, yeah that was so successful for him. Yeah, he was tough. Just really fit his skill set. I rem- really fit his skill set. I remember as a kid, we used to play them, of course, twice in the division. 
the Browns did, and boy, did they always give us a tough time. I mean, he was, I hated playing against that team. Yeah, you know, I mean, they could they could really stretch the defense, and uh, you know, at that time, it was it was such a, a new thing. And now now you look at the NFL, and you know, using that shotgun formation, passing uh, quite a bit more, um, that's become more a part of the game. But at the time, you know, it was a very unique offense yes. uh, to run. So the current season, uh, you, you, yeah, we're, we're going back and forth from modern day today to yesteryear. So one of the things, too, that you do is that you're able to take the current season and compare it to other seasons, historically speaking. So here we are 10 weeks into this 2021 NFL season. What do you see and how do you compare it to something of the past? Well, one thing is the Chiefs. Um you know they're not doing as well um, as a lot of people expected. Um, you know there have only been in the history since the history of the AFC, which was the nineteen seventy season, was the first year of the AFC after the AFL and NFL merged. Um, there have only been three teams that have won three AFC championships in a row. Um, thus, the Miami Dolphins and um, the Buffalo Bills, of course, they won four straight, and then um, the Patriots with Tom Brady. So, to kind of come into the season and expect the Chiefs to, you know, just roll over the AFC again, um, that's, that's one thing that coming into the season... Um, you know, you could look back and say, like, it, it'll be exceptionally tough for the, the Chiefs to repeat a third time. Mm. So you're saying that this is, this is we shouldn't be so surprised? Maybe not that they haven't won as many games, but um, be surprised that other, shouldn't be surprised that other teams have kind of caught up to them. Yeah. And, and you know the other thing to remember is you get everybody's best when you're the champion, and you get that every week. So that's that's one factor, um, because for for everybody you're their their biggest game of the year. And um, you know the other thing too is that's that's interesting to think about. You know the Chiefs, their seasons have gone you know, two weeks later with the Super Bowl than anybody else um, other than their Super Bowl opponent uh, for two years straight. So, you know, combined, that's that's an entire month of off-season that they've lost over two years. And, you know, you have that emotional high and emotional low of winning and losing the Super Bowl. Um so you know the the physical aspects of playing more games and um you know just all the added physical stuff that goes with that sure and and having a a longer season than anybody else i I do think that may have an effect as well well it's it's, they always say it's easier to take the hill than it is to hold it uh, to your point yeah 
So yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, in the NFL, well, uh, and in everything, in everything, life, leadership, business. I know that you re- relate those types of topics as well to football. So talk as we're getting close to finishing up here, but talk a little bit about the business and life and leadership lessons that can be gleaned from football. I think one of the really interesting things is um, looking at, you know, certain kinds of coaches who were successful as, and quarterbacks, you know, they weren't necessarily um, the same type of personality and they weren't necessarily um, didn't go about leadership the same way. Um, you think about some some players are very vocal leaders, um, and then there's you know the story of Johnny Unitas where his pregame speech they would turn to him and he would say, "Well, talk is cheap. Let's just go out and play." Um, and then you have other other players who uh, you know, and especially like Vince Lombardi is famous for. Speeches, um, you know, you put together a whole book of his quotes. Um, you know, you've got the um, strict disciplinarian coaches um, who do really well. Then you have the so-called players coaches um, who also have done very well. Um, but one of the things that seems to come out is the importance of preparation um and you know there's one quote about Chuck Noel the Steelers um and I'm sorry to bring up the Steelers knowing you're a Browns fan <laughs> That's okay. um but um uh, one of the quotes um after he had passed away those players said was that, that you know he believed that games were won on Tuesday Wednesday, you know, rather than on Sunday, meaning that the amount of preparation put in beforehand and getting the players prepared for the game uh, was often the difference between winning and losing. That's powerful. I like that a lot. You have uh, written several books and you host a couple podcasts. Tell us about your podcast, your books, where people could find you online, etc. Yeah, um, you know, the hub for all that is thegamebeforethemoney.com. Um, and I have the Game Before the Money podcast, which is a continuation of the book, The Game Before the Money, uh, which was an oral history of pro football players who played between the 1930s and the 1970s. And now I just continue that work because I feel like it's, it's very important to preserve uh, these stories while we can. I always say that football history is American history. I often say that um, because you have so many people from so many different backgrounds um, who grew up all over the country, and in some places, in some in some instances, um, they were born in other countries. Um, so, you know, you've got all these different backgrounds different paths to playing pro and college football um, and they unite together with a common goal 
Um, and that's, that's really interesting. And, you know, combined it's, it's the fabric of our, our society. And with football being such a big part of the culture, I mean, you know, probably Hollywood is bigger than football. Um, but you know, I mean, and, and maybe popular music, but you know, the amount of influence that the football has on the culture and then the amount of people who football is their main source of entertainment sure. or pro sports in general. It's, it's a high, high amount of the population. Absolutely. It's a high percentage. It absolutely so, is. Yeah. It's amazing seeing how people can come together from all walks of life to achieve a common goal. Like you said, and yeah. you just hope, mm-hmm. and you just hope, like Tom Brady and, and John Elway and some of the greats, you hope that they're all committed to the cause. Unfortunately, there's different levels of commitment, <laughs> and that's just the way it goes. Hey, we'll make sure that we link you up in the show notes uh, so people check out Jackson's podcast, and you can find more about him here in the links. Final, final one for you before we uh, finish off. We talked about the GOAT. We talked about the great quarterbacks, Tom Brady. I have to finish, sorry to finish with maybe something more negative, but people love negativity still. So you told us who some of the best were. Give us the biggest bust in NFL history, in your opinion. Oh, wow. Well, you know, there have been some guys, you know, Arch Schleister, um, you know, he had some legal issues, and he, um, he ended up in prison for quite a while. Um, and you know, Ryan Leaf, of course, is, is famous, um, for being a bust. He was drafted right after Peyton Manning was drafted. Um, and then, you know, the third that comes to mind is Tony Mandridge, who the Packers chose before they could have chosen Barry Sanders, Deion Sanders, or Derek Thomas. And they chose Tony Mandridge, who um, never panned out. You know, um, that's painful. That's yeah, pa- it's painful because you know these these are people, and and a lot of times they're making decisions as young people um, that you know affect the rest of their life, and they're remembered for it. You know, they're remembered for what they did when they were 21 years old and had the world handed to them. Um, you know, as far as the National Football League goes and pro sports. And, um, you know, there are a lot of different reasons why people make those choices. And a lot of times it's youth, and a lot of times it's it's their background and they don't have people looking out for them. Yeah. Um, you know, there are a lot of different reasons for it. Um, and that's why I think it's important to kind of look beyond the surface level of people's mistakes and um, their failures and um, kind of see, you know, what maybe was on their path that put them in a position to, that, that didn't put them in as good a position to succeed as other people may have had. Well said. Actually, I lied. One final one. It's 2021 season. We're 10 weeks in, like we mentioned earlier. The Super Bowl will be held in 2022, of course. Who wins the Super Bowl this year? 
Oh wow, that's that's hard to say. Um, no, just one team. Know, one team. I can I can give you I can give you some teams that I think it wouldn't surprise me. I, nope, I wouldn't be we, surprised. We we need one, Jackson. Yeah, pa- we need one. We the need Packers. One. The Packers look exceptionally good. But who's going to win it? I'll be interested to see how the Rams do adding Von Miller and Odell Beckham to that roster. Come on, Jackson, you got to give us one pick. Go into your crystal ball. Who's it going to be? We'll we'll play it back if you if you're right. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> well, if I'm going to have to pick one team, I will pick the Tampa Bay Buccaneers <laughs> uh, because they go. got Tom Brady at quarterback. There it is, folks. Hey, man, thank you so much for joining us and uh, wishing you continued success with everything. Uh, thank you, Nate. I really appreciate you having me on and, and just uh, really appreciate everybody listening. And um, thanks again. And, you know, we'd be happy to be on again. And, um, yeah, thanks so much. <laughs>